Um, some of you may know Craig Tucker, a friend of mine who's the minister at the Presbyterian Church in Dremoyne. Uh, he took his wife to lunch one afternoon uh, in a Vietnamese restaurant in Cabramatta. There's dozens of Vietnamese restaurants out there. And uh, when they got there, they realised that the menu was one of those ones that only had Vietnamese written on it. It just had a series of pictures. It was kind of like this. Now, his Vietnamese is non-existent, but he could recognise a few things from the pictures. So when the waiter came over, whose English wasn't very good, the whole picture-pointing thing worked really well, so he just pointed to four dishes. As they were waiting for their food to be, rep- to be prepared, he kept noticing that the kitchen door would open, and one by one, the waiter was bringing the staff members who were in the kitchen over to the door and pointing out to Craig's table. He wasn't exactly sure what that was about. So finally, the manager came over, and his English wasn't great either, but he came over and and explained that one of the dishes that Craig ordered, was he sure that that was what he wanted? And Craig said, look, I've got to confess, I just pointed to a picture, I, I don't even know what it is. And the waiter went on to explain, or the manager went on to explain, that it was a, a dish that was made up of various parts of the pig. Pig stomach, pig esophagus, pig liver, pig lung, as well as a few other parts, shall we say, of the pig. Uh, and the, the manager very kindly drew a picture of a pig <laughs> on the napkin and pointed out where each of these parts would have come from. Uh, and to cap it all off, it was actually a cold soup that it was all together in this bowl. Uh, I think Craig decided to go for the chicken and cashews instead. I think that ended up being a, a slightly safer option. He's adventurous, but not quite that adventurous. Now, the lesson there is pretty obvious, isn't it? Make sure you know what it is that you're asking for. Make sure you're clear about what you're asking for before you ask for it. And can I say, I think that principle applies particularly when we're looking at something like the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, and especially if we're using this model of the Lord's Prayer, we need to know what it is that we're actually asking for. It's strange that this prayer is very often associated with more conservative churches. Uh, It's often traditional churches with very traditional structures and liturgies that want to use this prayer. But what is strange is that this prayer is actually asking for radical changes to happen. Radical changes to happen in your life and radical changes to happen in the world that we're living in. So what is it that we are asking for when we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer? What is Jesus encouraging us to pray for? Well, there's six parts to this prayer, six petitions, six things that we're asking God to do, six ways in which we would like to see God to act. Now, we're going to look at the first three of those in this model for prayer. So Jesus says this right at the very beginning, petition number one. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When I was younger, we lived in a a little country town out near Mudgee, a little place called Kajigong. Uh, And there was a man in the town there who prayed the words of the Lord's Prayer every night before he went to sleep. But unfortunately, he'd got them a little confused. And he, instead of saying, hallowed be thy name, he would pray, Harold be thy name. 
thought that God's name was Harold. His wife attempted to correct, correct him on a number of occasions, but uh, he wouldn't have a bar of it. He was pretty adamant that God's name was Harold, and that was what we needed to pray each time we prayed the Lord's Prayer. Now, that may seem a little funny that he would say that, but do you know what you're asking for if you're asking for God's name to be hallowed? I don't suppose it comes as any surprise, but here's an expression that has some very, very strong links to the pages of the Old Testament. See, when we're praying, hallowed be thy name, we're asking that God's name would be revered and respected. We're asking that God's name would be holy, hallowed. Uh, We're asking that God would be treated with the respect that he deserves as the God and creator of all things. Very strong connection in the pages of the Old Testament between God and his name. I suppose the same thing happens today. We talk about a company and their name being damaged by something that they've done or some action that they've taken or their name being enhanced by what it is that they've done. Now, we're not referring to their name. We're actually referring to the company. But we talk about their name and the company as though they're the same thing. Uh, Let me show you a couple of psalms that do this, that talk about uh, God's name. Our Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. Men tell of your wonderful deeds. Now, it's actually not God's name in any of those things, is it? It's actually God that we're talking about, that God is near, that God is the one who gives us hope, that we hope in him. So when we're asking that God's name be hallowed, we want people to acknowledge God as God. We want people to see that God is the one who rules over all things. When you pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying that we want God to be revered and respected in the world. We're saying that we want people to know just how great God is. And we're asking God to do those things that will actually bring honour to his name. Uh, Some people have thought that this petition is a bit like saying that we don't want God's name to be taken in vain or kind of used as a swear word. And I suppose that's a good start, but it goes way beyond that. God is honoured. How is it that God is honoured? Well, he's honoured when people acknowledge him as God. He's honoured when people recognise how holy he is. He's honoured when people recognise how sinful they are in God's eyes and turn to God for forgiveness. He's honoured when people ask for forgiveness. Well, petition number two is there in verse number 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In some ways, these two petitions here are are really a bit of an expansion of that very first one. All All three of these petitions fit in very closely together. Now, it's important to remember the setting for the things that, for the, for this prayer, uh, who it is that Jesus is talking to. This is first century Israel. The Jewish people are living under Roman occupation. The Romans had come in, taken over the country. They don't have their own king on the throne anymore. If you had to pick the greatest hope for the people of Israel, it would have been for God's kingdom to come. 
They're longing for the day when God's king would come and rescue them. They're longing for the day when God's kingdom would be established again. Wouldn't take too much to get the people back in Jesus' day to pray, your kingdom come. They would have been very happy to pray that one. Kingdom is one of those ideas that dominates the pages of the Old Testament. The golden age of Israel was under the reigns of King David and King Solomon, probably close to a thousand years before Jesus gave these words. That's the kingdom that they, that's the one that they remember so clearly. That's the one that they want. They want God's king, the one like King David who will take the throne, the one that God promised to send. When the kingdom fell apart and they were taken off into captivity, they just longed for the day that the kingdom would be restored. So Jesus is asking them to pray, your kingdom come. But it's a bigger kingdom than even they're thinking of. When Jesus came, Jesus actually announced the kingdom is now here because he's the king. So he could say the kingdom is right here amongst you because Jesus is the king. And it's a kingdom that goes way beyond the borders of national Israel. Jesus came to establish a universal kingdom, a kingdom that encompasses every country, every nation. Now, we're sitting here this morning in Balmain, and there's a sense in which the kingdom has already come because Jesus the King has come. But there's another sense in which the kingdom is continuing to come. Every day, more and more people have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to recognise him as King. Every day, there are more people placing their trust in Jesus, acknowledging that they want to be a part of the kingdom that he rules over. Every day there are more people bowing their knee to Jesus as king. But there's another sense in which we're still waiting for the kingdom to come. I mean, it's true to say all three of these things. The kingdom has come because Jesus the king has come. The kingdom is coming because more and more people are becoming a part of the kingdom. And the kingdom will come because one day Jesus will return and finally and completely establish that kingdom. So when you're praying, your kingdom come, you're praying that God will continue to establish his kingdom here on earth. Now, we're not praying that some monarchy will be reinstated for some small ethnic group at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. That's not what we're praying for. We're praying that God's universal kingdom will come. We're praying that God's rule will be established everywhere. And that's where that second part of the petition comes in. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says we should be praying that earth will become more and more like heaven each day. So heaven's the place where God's rule is complete, where it's unchallenged. Heaven's the place where God is honoured appropriately as the God of all things. There's no rebellion in heaven. There's no one ignoring God in heaven. There's no one fighting against God's rule in heaven. And it's not as if God's rule is forced on everybody in heaven. Heaven's the place where people delight in God's rule, where they love the fact that God's the one that's in charge. Heaven's the place where God is loved and respected. And that's what Jesus says we should be praying for down here, that people here will love and respect God, that they will appreciate God's rule that they will do God's will, that they will live as God's people. 
We've seen some significant conflicts in recent years in North Africa and many of those conflict conflicts have come about because Muslim governments have wanted to impose Muslim or Sharia law in some of those countries and it's caused enormous problems. Sharia law has often been used as a weapon to punish, people, to punish non-Muslims and Muslim law is imposed on people who have no choice but to obey it. Now let's be, keep, let's be clear, when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's not what we're praying for. We're not praying that God's will would be forced on people. Jesus is not saying that we should go around with guns and force people to obey God's law. See, when you go right back to the very opening words of this prayer, what does it say? It says, Our Father in heaven. It's only when you recognise that relationship that you will want to do what God says, that you will want to live as part of God's family, as part of God's kingdom. It's because that relationship is there that you will want to see God's will done in your life and in the world that we live in. So there you have the first three parts of this prayer, the first three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me ask you, what do you think that would look like if that prayer was answered? What do you think it would look like, let's get a little bit more specific, what do you think it would look like in your life if that prayer was answered? And what do you think it would look like in our world if that prayer was answered? What would it look like in your life if God's name genuinely was hallowed? If God's name were, if God's kingdom were to come? And God's will was done. I grew up on the north side of Sydney and whenever I head over to the south side of Sydney I feel like I'm completely lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know the main roads over there. And if I've ever got to travel there I always have to get my street directory out and just get my bearings. Try and figure out where it is that I've got to go. That I need to go down this road then I need to turn there, go down that road and that'll get me generally there. And very often if I travel over that way I'll sometimes pull over to the side of the road. Just get my bearings again. Make sure I know exactly where I'm heading because it's territory that I'm not familiar with. Can I say, I think the Lord's Prayer does a similar thing for us. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but normally when I start praying, I start talking about me, I start talking about what's going on in my life, uh, problems that I've got or things that I want God to do for me. But do you see how this prayer starts? It doesn't start by talking about you or me, it starts by talking about God. And I think it's a, it's almost a bit of a reorientation that's taking place here. We're, we're actually recognising that the most important things in this world are not the things that are going on in my life. The most important thing is that God has the rightful place in my life and in this world. So it starts out by talking about God's name, God's honour, God's will, God's kingdom. The very first thing that this model prayer does is get us to check our bearings, to actually have a bit of a think about the big picture, that God's name is important, God's honour is important, God's kingdom is important. We remember that the most important thing is that God's name should be hallowed. And do you know the main way that God's name is going to be hallowed in the world that we live in? 
It's going to be by the way that you live your life. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? That, that you only need to watch the television to realise that God's name comes into disrepute because of the way that his followers live. Uh, there's inquiries taking place at this very time about what the church has done in relation to dealing with children. Do you think God's name's going to come out of that looking good? Sadly, God's people will be the ones who give God a bad name. The Bible actually says the same thing. A couple of verses from, uh, from Timothy. Paul says this, All you who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. The way that you live can ultimately have the effect of slandering God's name. Peter puts it in a more positive way in this passage. Live such good lives among the Gentiles that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are God's people and like it or not, the way that you live will either profane God's name or bring glory and honour to God's name. If you're praying, hallowed be your name, then the very first thing that you need to do is have a think about how you're living your life. Are you hallowing God's name in the life that you live? Are you living a life that's going to make sure that people do respect God's name? Or are they going to look at you and say, hang on, I thought you said you were a Christian. We need to make sure that we're living a life that gives God the respect and honour that he deserves. But it's not just about reorienting our lives, this prayer. This is a prayer for our world, isn't it? We're saying that we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would that look like if God were to answer that prayer? I said before, there's a sense in which God's kingdom has come because Jesus has already established it and there's a sense in which God's kingdom is coming. So how does it come? Well, it comes as more and more people become a part of that kingdom. It comes as more and more people acknowledge Jesus as their king, as more and more people say they want to trust Jesus. Comes right back to the beginning of the prayer, doesn't it? Who are those who will hallow God's name? Who are those who will do God's will? It's those who can say, our Father in heaven. Those who have that personal relationship with God. Those who've heard about Jesus and placed their trust in him because they want to be a part of that family. See, the way that this prayer is answered in our world is as people hear the good news about Jesus and trust him as king. God is is honoured when people bow their knee to Jesus. God is honoured when people believe in his son. Well, that's how the model prayer begins. And it's big stuff, isn't it? I mean, I grew up in a church where, uh, when I was younger, where people used to mumble their way through this prayer all the time. And I, and I have to confess, I had no idea what the words meant. I'd learned to memorise it and I could say it off by heart, but I had no idea what it was that we were praying for. I don't know what your prayer time is like, but um, very often I start out by praying for 
relatively small things, you know, and the stuff that's related to me, you know, praying for Deb's mum because she's been unwell or praying that the car will hold together for the next rego check or praying that kids will have nice weather for the sports carnival. But Jesus says that when you pray, these are the kinds of things you should pray for, the things that he gives us in this model for prayer. This is how we should begin. We should begin by talking about God's name, God's honour, God's will, God's kingdom. He's wanting to reorient our thinking. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying God's not interested in the small details. He is. He loves to hear that stuff from us because we're his children. And I'm not saying for a moment that we shouldn't pray about those things. But this prayer kind of confronts us, doesn't it? Reminds us that the world actually revolves around God, not around me. This model prayer confronts us with the fact that the most important things that can happen in our world are that God's name would be honoured. That more people would know and love and revere God. When we pray, we should start by praying for those most important things. So how about we pray together now? Our God and Heavenly Father, we know that you are the one who rules over all things. We know, Father, that there are many on this earth who do honour you and revere you and respect you. But we also know that there are many who don't. So we want to pray, Father, that we would live lives that honour you, that hallow your name. We want to pray that people would see our lives and see something of you in those lives. We want to pray that we would bring glory and honour to you by the way that we live. We also want to pray that you would help us to point people toward your son Jesus. To show them that he is the one who's worth trusting. That he is the one who shows us how to live. That he is the one who is king. Because he died and rose again from the dead. Father, we want to pray that you would help us in our prayer life to keep praying for all of the things that we do, but to keep remembering the most important things, that your name would be honoured, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.